Okay. If you can turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. All right. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. How many people who are here this morning would say, I am a forgiving person? Raise your hand. You think you're pretty forgiving. Okay, all right. I want to give you a few scenarios, a few tests, and I want you to tell me how forgiving you would actually be. Scenario number one. Adelia is up in the teen room, and I'm up there, and you walk by, and you hear me curse in front of Adelia. Like a bad curse word in front of Adelia. Would you forgive me? Okay. Scenario number two. What if not only I were to curse in front of Adelia, but what if I was to not to deny Jesus Christ? Would you forgive me? So I curse in front of Adelia and I deny Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, look, I don't know. I, I think I might have to at least raise my eyebrows at what's going on here, right? Yeah. Well, thank God that he would still forgive me. There was a man, and his name was Peter, who cursed and swore and denied Jesus in front of a young girl, and God was not through with him. You know the story, but let's look at it. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren, and he shall say unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall now crow, this shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. The title of this message this morning, and what I want us to learn today, is that failure is not final. Failure is not final. Our God is a merciful God, and his mercies are new every morning. There's no denying as we read this passage that Peter had failed. And I think we could probably say very, very justifiably so that Peter had failed pretty bad. It was pretty, he had failed miserably. Just like so many of us that have failed at some point of our lives, both before and after the moment of salvation. And in much the same way the Apostle Peter failed, but a new day is dawning for Simon Peter. Now let's be real here for a second, if we can. Many of us in here have failed in one way, shape, or form, okay? And some of you may even be at the same crossroads where you think, look, what's the point? I'm too far gone. I'm knee-deep in my sin. I'm chest-deep. I am up to my eyeballs in sin. Am I too far gone? Am I in too deep? Is there any hope for me? Let me tell you something. Even when we fail, that doesn't mean that God is finished with us. 
And it does not mean that just because we have failed that nothing has been accomplished. We can learn from our failures. Failure doesn't need to be a hitching post to keep us tied to the past. It can be and should be a guidepost to lead us into the future. And as we get into the passage tonight, I want you to keep in mind that Peter was very sure that he would not fail. Okay? Luke chapter 22 and verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. In this sentence, what is the main, big, and capitalized problem that you see in Luke chapter 22 and verse 33? The word I. Very good, Daniel. The word I. I am ready to go with thee. Peter was very confident in this fact. As I read and I study the passage, the more I believe Peter was not hypocritical. The problem is that his confidence was misplaced. When Peter said, Lord, I am going to do this, he was essentially dedicating himself. Never in the Bible are we told to dedicate ourselves. As a matter of fact, <coughs> throughout the Bible we're told over and over again to deny ourself. And as we can see through the actions of Simon Peter here, if we don't learn to deny ourselves pretty soon, we will be denying Christ. Peter is full of self. He didn't know his own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't know our own heart, just as Peter didn't know his, because it is desperately, or that word translated desperately here, incurably wicked. For this reason, people don't usually fall at their weakest point. People fall when they're at their strongest point. When you think things are going really good, that's when the start, you start to come to the bottom. That's the reason they fail, because they have confidence in their ability and their strengths. Example one of this is Simon Peter. If you had to pick one thing, what would you say is the greatest strength of Simon Peter? Probably Simon Peter's courage. Right? Peter was the one that drew out the sword and went after the high priest, if you remember. Peter was the one that got out of the boat to walk on the water. He was overloaded with courage. But where did he fail? He failed in his point of courage as he was stumbling and shaking in front of the accusations of a young teenage girl. He didn't fail at his weakest point. He failed at his strongest point. The same guy that was going to take out a sword and fight everybody is so scared to even admit that he was a follower of Jesus in front of some little teenage girl. Example number two of this out of scripture. Abraham. What would you say was Abraham's strongest point? I would say his faith. Abraham was the father of the faithful. But when he failed in his life, he failed in the aspect of faith. He went down into Egypt instead of Canaan where God had placed him. He lied about his wife Sarah to save his own hide. Why would he do that? Because he couldn't trust God to get him through that situation. A great man of faith who can't trust God to get him through a situation. 
Here's another example, Moses. What do you think Moses' greatest strength was? I would say his meekness. The Bible says that he was the meekest man who ever lived. Meekness means the ability to be taught or led. Today we call that being teachable. Moses, however, failed in his strongest point. He became a murderer and he killed the Egyptian. And because of this, he would eventually spend 40 years on the backside of the desert. He didn't fail at his weakest point. He failed at his strongest point. What about David? What would you say is David's strongest point? I would say it's his integrity. David was a man after God's own heart, a man of integrity. And yet where did David fail? He sacrificed his integrity at the altar of his lusts. Oswell Chambers wrote, an unguarded strength is actually a double weakness. It's interesting. Here was Simon Peter. Lord, I will go with you to prison or to death. And yet he failed at this very point because he dedicated himself. Christ and self can never sit on the same throne of your life. Do you understand that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So let's fast forward in the story. Verse 54, okay? And Jesus has already told Peter that tonight is the night, Peter. This is when this is going to go down. That before the cock crows, you are going to deny me three times, Peter. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him, and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while another saw him, and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And above the space of an hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crew, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Here, we see what we could probably describe as the absolute worst night of Peter's life. And he's warming himself at the fire of the enemies of the Lord. Think about that. I mean, there's intricacies here of this that unless you sit there and really start looking at everything, you read through it and many times we get the gist of it, right? Oh, this is the verse about Simon when he denies the Lord three times. But think about the scene of what we're actually seeing here. Simon Peter is sitting at the fire warming himself, essentially sitting around a campfire with all of Jesus' enemies, the people who are in there torturing his, his Lord. He's following Jesus, but from afar off. When someone picks up on his language or accent, they could tell that he was from Galilee. Because he talked like a hillbilly, essentially, because that's what the Galileans were thought of at that point. So it would be like, 
you know, there being some crazy guy from the south and we caught him and some of his buddies and you had another guy from the south and he's got a draw like this around here. And you're like, hey, that guy's got a draw too. He's probably with that crazy guy. Right? They said, hey, you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you. I can tell where you're from once, twice, thrice. The Apostle Peter denies that he even knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he hears the rooster crow. What Peter learned when the rooster crowed was the same thing that I hope we learn today. And that is that failure is not final. Because if you have failed, and I'm sure most of us have, if not, then just wait. You will. But thank God there is still hope for you. Because the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. There are three things that I want you to learn about the crowing of this rooster. Because look, I know that we get a lot of things, but the crowing of this rooster is the focal point of what I want to look at this morning. It is paramount to what we're talking about today. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is in times of failure, we need to see the sovereignty of Jesus. In times of failure, we should see the sovereignty of Jesus. Sometimes this word sovereignty gives us trouble in the United States because we don't have a sovereign. Okay? We have a president, not a king or a queen. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Now, if you trip and you fall, if you fail, get your eyes off your failure and get them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you why I am correlating this truth with the rooster. How did the rooster show Simon Peter the sovereignty of Christ? Luke 22 and verse 60. Take a look at it with me. Luke 22 and verse 60. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And what's the next two words there? And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. What is so interesting, you might ask, about this? This rooster crowed at the exact, precise time that is nothing less than a miracle. Nothing. From everything that I have read, right? When I wrote this, I did some research, as much as you can Google about crows, okay? I can say from my research looking at it that there are two things that are true. The only thing more difficult than trying to make a rooster crow is trying to keep a rooster from crowing, okay? So now I want you to think about, again, maybe this is a different light than what you've thought about it previously. Think about the scope then of this miracle. Our Lord had to keep every single rooster in Jerusalem from crowing until that exact precise time. Exactly immediately following what Peter had done. That is, that is crazy. Then, only then. The rooster crows. And now notice what it says here about what Peter said right after this happens. And Peter 
remembered the word of the Lord. The cock crows and he remembered the word of the Lord. He no doubt thought of himself in that moment. He is still in control. Now things had gotten out of hand for Peter. I mean, really out of hand. His Lord and Master had been betrayed. He had been falsely accused, arrested, carried away. And the whole thing's coming apart, man. Where's God right now? Have you ever thought that? I just lost my job. I'm losing my house. My business is losing money. My doctor just told me it's cancer. My wife or my husband just left me. My kids have hated me. My, my family has, has ostracized me. I can't believe I did that with that woman or that man. Where is God right now? When we begin to think that way, we need to remember what Peter learned at that moment, and that is our Lord, no matter the circumstance, is still in control. Nothing has ever gotten out of hand. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 6, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Our Lord Jesus Christ has never lost his dominion. Even when he was being crucified, he said, No man taketh my life, I layeth it downward myself. What happened to Peter is that when things began to unravel, it turned to doubt. And doubt turned to fear. And fear turned into the denial. Faith is believing God in spite of appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. I'm going to read that one more time just so that we're all on the same page here. If you say you have faith and you have faith in God, faith is believing God in spite of appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. If you fail in this area of your life, remember the sovereignty of the Lord. Do you believe that the Lord actually has everything under control? You have to believe it when you read this passage and see that the rooster crowing at that precise moment was nothing short of a miracle. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny self. Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus never denied himself. And therefore, did not deny Peter. He is the Christ of sovereignty, and he is still in control. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What are all things? Peter's denial was an all thing. Peter cursing was an all thing. God makes all things work together. Do you know that God can use your backsliding for good? Backsliding is not good. And if you are backsliding, you're going to suffer. Peter himself wept bitterly. It would have been far better had he not done it. But Peter's failure did not cause our God to fail. 
Jesus did not fail. Even though Peter denied him, he still did not fail. And he cannot deny himself. Our Lord was in absolute sovereign control. And in times of failure, we need to see the sovereignty of Jesus. Number two. Point number two. In times of failure, we need to see the sympathy of Jesus. He never stops loving us, guys. Ever. Even though we fail. I say amen to that. Luke 22 and verse 61. Back to our passage. It says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. What was the look that Jesus gave to Peter, I wonder? You ever think about that when you've read this passage in your Bible reading before? I mean, do you think Jesus looked at him and was like, like a, like a spiteful look? I think it was a hateful look? I think it was a, I doubt it was that. That's, that's something like teenage girls do on selfies now, right? I don't think it was any of those things at all. I think it was the look of an injured love. We've probably seen that before. I think almost everybody in here at one point has, has had children in their home around them. Have you ever said something out of anger to one of your kids and it just breaks their heart and they look at you like, I can't believe you said that to me. Like, that just broke my heart. You know that look I'm talking about. Have you ever seen that from a spouse before? When you've been in an argument and you said something out of anger and you said that to them and they said, man, what? And that look that they give you that like, you could have said anything else but that. But you said that one thing and it's like it stabs you. And, and on a separate note, we know what those things are. That's why they come out in those times. Because we know what the triggers are for our husbands and wives and children and whatever. And so we use them. They're like, you remember the cowboys and they'd have those belts on in the movies and they'd have the belts on with all the little bullets in the side? Those instances are those little bullets for us. And we're just waiting for that time when we can take that special bullet out. That's not biblical. We should not be doing that, but we do. That look that we receive when we hurt someone that deeply, that is the look that if I had to take an educated guess... Knowing the, the, the person that our Lord was, that is the look that he gave to Peter at that time. And so, being people who I saw the heads nod, being people who have received that look before, we also know how Peter felt when he saw that look from the Lord, don't we? That feeling in your gut that you get when you feel kind of sick and nervous and sad all at the same time. It's interesting. I, uh, Jesus didn't change. Jesus does not change you so that he can love you. He loves you so that he can change you. That's why I think he looked out of Peter and he's still worried about Peter, even in the midst of his suffering and his humiliation. Even during this time, the Lord has his eyes upon him, his backslidden disciple. He doesn't do like we do and somebody hurts us and we're like, oh, that person's dead to me. 
right? He denied Jesus three times. Jesus told him he was going to, and at this time, I think the Lord was genuinely still concerned about Peter during this time. If you have failed, God still loves you. But listen now, he loves you as you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way. His love is what changes you. Thank God that those of us who are saved today are not the same people that we were when we first got saved. That's why baptism comes after salvation. Because before, before salvation, we're dead in our sins. Once we're saved, we want to identify with Christ. You don't baptize a dead person. We're alive now. That's why baptism is so important. Not to our salvation, but because of it. His love is what changes us. If we're relating this to the past, Jesus did not come to simply improve Peter's life. He came to replace Peter's life. Peter was surprised with his failure. Nobody was more surprised, I'm sure, than Peter at the way this whole thing started shaking out. Because like I said before, I don't believe that Peter was a hypocrite. I think he meant what he said. Lord, I'm going to follow you even unto death. I think he meant that. Many times I have had things, thoughts and words that have erupted out of me. And and I literally have been surprised at myself. I'm like, where did that even come from? And I've learned over time that my self-life has not improved one iota since I've been saved. It hasn't. And neither is yours. And Peter did not realize what was really inside of him. But when he learned that in spite of all, this Jesus, who is in complete control, has never, 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 never stopped loving him. Listen to me now. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can ever do, that will make Christ love you more than he loves you right now. Do you understand that? We think of it in human terms. We think of it as, man, I am, uh, you know, I cheated on my wife. She loves me less. Right? I blew all of our money in our bank account. They love me less. Because we, for some reason in humanity, we're always trying to earn love from people. It's like we're always on that, that earner mentality. That isn't how God gives out his love to you. When Daniel got saved, God gave Daniel all the love that he could possibly give, which is more love than any of us can ever fathom. Same with me. Same with anyone. There's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to make God love me more. Nothing. And there's nothing that I can do that's ever going to make him stop loving me. Now that's a thing right there, ladies and gentlemen. You say, well, I have, I have to earn his love. And my answer to you is emphatically, no, you don't. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the sovereignty of God. And if you are a sinner, 
and I know that you are, don't ever let the devil say to you, God is through with you. You blew it. Lauren, you blew it. There's no more chances for you. Just give up. Stop trying, Lauren. Why is it that you think individuals get saved or start coming to a church and you see them there and they love it and then they're gone? It's because God tells, or God, it's because Satan tells them you're not good enough. You don't know as much as that guy who sits across from you. That guy must read his Bible every day. You're not even reading your Bible every day. You should be embarrassed. They're going to look at you and judge you. You should be embarrassed of yourself. You should just stop going. It'd be easier if you just stopped going. Weren't you happier when you were just at home watching football right now? It's a huge lie. Just give up. Stop trying. He'll never love you. That's not true. God has never stopped loving you. God loves you. This Christ of sovereignty is also a Christ of sympathy. Number three. In times of failure, we need to see our security in Jesus. In times of failure, we need to see our security in Jesus. Point number three. Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. Luke 22 and verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he has said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And what was the word of the Lord? Okay, remember, Luke 22 verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, not meaning saved here, but meaning turned, strengthen thy brother. What does all this mean, right? There were two that were very interested in Simon Peter that day. And they were interested in his failure. One was Jesus, and the other was Satan. Okay? Now, why was Satan so interested in Simon Peter? Because he wanted to, according to Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 to 33, Satan wanted to, it says, sift him. Why would people back in the day, why would they sift wheat? Okay, so give you a little bit of a lesson here. On the threshing floor, there was a thing called a chaff. Um, and rocks and, and sticks and, and just other junk that was on the floor. And there's a sieve. And you shake it and all of the junk comes to the top. What does Satan want to do in your life? He wants you to sift you so that all the flaws in you the rocks and the sticks, come up to the top. Why does he want to find those? So that he can accuse you and condemn you with them. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. Now, the Lord also wants you to be sifted, and he will allow the devil to do it. And the devil's looking for some flaws. And the Lord is looking for the wheat, though. Jesus allows you to be sifted, not to condemn you, but to cleanse you. 
But notice what the Lord says here. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Keep those um, in balance and you will understand this entire thing that I'm trying to tell you this morning. Satan may desire you, but he cannot destroy you. He cannot. He cannot destroy you. Satan may tempt you, but he can't take you. Jesus may allow it so that the impurities in your life can come to the surface so that you can more clearly see them and understand them. And yet at the same time, so that the weak may be gathered at Jesus' feet. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. We may, whatever these sticks and things of that are in our life, right, the impurities in our life, they are different for everybody. Some people may be our temper. Some people may be anxiety. Some people may be whatever. Name your thing here. God leaves it blank. He doesn't tell us what they are here. He uses a picture of sifting wheat. It can be anything. Whatever it is for you, that's what it is. God will allow these things to come up so that we can more easily see them and that we can come to him because we know now from here that he is praying for us to help cleanse us. John 17 and verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. You say, okay, but this, but, but isn't he praying for the disciples here? Yes, but he was praying for more than just them. If we, I just read John 17, 9. A few verses later in John 17, 15, it says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So he doesn't just pray, Lord, just take them up to heaven. That'd be easier, right? Take them all up, take them away. I pray, Lord, that while they are here on earth, you will keep them and that they will be secure, just like he prayed for Peter. You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Five verses later, John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Just put your name next to that verse, right? Neither pray I for these alone, but for Alan Harrell, Nicole Harrell, right? Rogan Harrell. You can put your own... Put your name here. Our Lord at this moment could see you sitting here this morning in this very auditorium. He knew that you were going to need prayer. And he says, and he says, done, take them out of the world, but, but keep them from the world. You say, well, what if his prayer was not answered? Man, you got to be kidding me. Jesus' prayer goes unanswered. So what is Jesus Christ doing right now? Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that came to God by him, seeing he ever lifteth, liveth to make intercession for them. When the Bible says here that he is able to save unto the uttermost, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean that he's able to save the worst of sinners? No. He's able to do that, but he is, but that's not what this means. He is able to do that, but it's not what this means. What this means is that he is able to save you unto the end, all the way. He will never lose you. 
He will never forsake you. The same Jesus that prayed for Simon Peter is now in glory praying for you. Failure. He's praying for you. Does that encourage you? It ought to. It ought to encourage us. So I fail. You fail. Saints throughout the Old Testament failed. New Testament failed. Simon Peter failed. But when the rooster crowed, a new day was dawning. God's mercies are new every morning. Jeremiah 18.4 And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel. And seemed good to the potter to make it another vessel. God is not through with you. Despite your failure, but there must be repentance. There has to be repentance. I heard a quote once that said, real repentance is the vomiting of the soul. Now, look, unless you're a, you know, an adolescent boy, that's probably kind of gross to you, right? The vomiting of the soul. I think back to that time when I've really been sick, like the I'm never eating again sick, right? You know the one I'm talking about. Um, I'm making my bed on the bathroom floor sick. It's terrible because what happens is your body, and that's the worst part about it really, is your body like, like wretches to get all that sick stuff out of your body, right? That is how Peter felt when he went out and he wept. And it says wept bitterly. And I'm praying that your sin will break your heart. And that you will heave from your heels and go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sick of it. Honestly, sincerely, I am repenting. Peter wept bitterly concerning his sin and there was a new day for him. And let me just tell you, there can be a new day for you too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to grow in our love and our appreciation for what you do for us and what you do for us daily.